0: ears, let him hear. Now skipping down to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, and in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. A great Father, we thank you that you have gathered us together in your presence, and we have heard your word read. We ask now today that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see so that we may behold wonders therein. For we pray this in Jesus' strong name, and amen. Amen. I want you to picture the scene. A great crowd has followed Jesus, pushing in amongst him to hear the words, and to keep from being overrun, he gets into a boat. And as they are gathered on the shore, he teaches them a series of parables, short stories with a particular emphasis on the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 13 is famous for its multiple parables that Jesus teaches on. And he begins this first parable, a a sower went out to sow. The story seems ordinary enough. It isn't until Jesus explains the intricate depth of it in verses 18 through 23 that we realize what he's talking about. The parable has been called various things. The parable of the sower, the parable of the seed, or the parable of the soils. The sower is fine, so long as we see that what Jesus is emphasizing is hearers. What kind of hearer are you? How do you respond to the word of God? The word of the kingdom is published throughout every land and will be until the kingdom is consummated at the end of the age. This parable helps us to understand why different people receive the message differently at different times. He breaks down the different hearers through the analogy of soils and the seed being the word of God, which is proclaimed indiscriminately. But some hear, but they don't listen. And there's others who hear, but it's a, it's a hard message to hear. And there are others who hear, but other words are stronger than the word of God, and they drown out the message. But finally, there are those who hear and understand. They alone bear fruit. So let's look quickly at these different types of hearers, all the while examining our own hearts to see the soil and how we respond to hearing God's word. The first seed is scattered on ground, hardened by repeated walking on it. As he says in verse 4, and he sowed some seed and some seeds fell along the path and the birds devoured them. A the pathway is the, is the place where the gardener walks in between the garden plots. And because he repeatedly walks along that path, the path is hardened. So that any seed that falls on it, it's too dense and thick for it to penetrate and even germinate the seed. So the seed lies there on the surface, free for birds to come along and take them up. I read somewhere that if you fly over a certain area in Nebraska, you can still see the well-worn path of the Oregon Trail where settlers moved across the plains and they follow the same path. The ground is so hardened that grass and prairie don't grow in those paths. This is what the soil is like from repeated use. Nothing can ever grow there. The seed has no chance. The bird, Jesus explains, is the evil one. He is the one that comes to the hardened heart and he steals away, he snatches away the word that was spoken. These are hearts that remain in their natural state, hardened in sin. The words Paul uses to describe the natural man in Romans 3 are eye-opening. He quotes a bevy of psalms, but it really illustrates who this person is who is, has the hardened heart. Paul says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We get a bleak picture of someone who is hardened in sin. Paul says elsewhere in Second Corinthians, in their case... That is, those who are hardened by sin. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. This is a picture of a spiritual blindness brought on because of our hardness of hearts. He who has eyes, let him not see. He who has ears, let him not hear. Otherwise, I would turn and he would be healed. You might be thinking this group is hopeless. Why scatter the seed there? We know it's going to be snatched away and doesn't scripture say not to cast your pearls before swine? Why does this gardener cast his seed on this kind of soil only to be rejected? One of the things I will stress throughout this summer as we look at the parables is that we not press them too far. Yes, Jesus is looking at four different responses to the gospel, but these don't necessarily have to line up chronologically. That is, somebody could have a hardened heart as I was and you were when you were dead in your sins and trespasses, and God can make you alive, and you could have the heart of the good soil. This is not a static picture, so we don't want to press the parable too far. The problem Is This parable is an allegory, but if we use every detail of it and press it all for its allegorical juice, we end up with this kind of wildly speculative allegorical interpretations of the medieval church where every little detail is pressed for meaning. Jesus speaks of the reality of the word that that received by everyone and it's not received in the same way at the same time. Some may receive the word and it fall upon their hardened hearts and the evil one will snatch it away and it will be wasted. But that same person prepared by the gospel may indeed receive the word of God. So we scatter seed. The Lord calls us to scatter seed. Just as Jesus scattered seed before the lost children of Israel and only some responded so we, we are not discriminate in those we preach the gospel to, but we we trumpet it loudly to all who will listen, despite their receiving it or rejecting it. It is precisely because we don't know the hour or the timing of their salvation that we preach the word in season and out of season. But lest you grow comfortable in the thought that, well, I can't be me. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here in church. I'm receiving the word. I would warn you with the words of Paul, take heed lest you too fall. Have you had no spiritual benefit when hearing the word read or preached? It may be that you have hardened your heart when you have your devotions each morning or you sit each Lord's day under the preaching of the word. You hear but you don't listen. Break up the fallow ground of your heart and hear. You hear, but the word is a hard word to listen to. The parable continues, and the sower sowed other seeds on rocky soil, and immediately it sprung up. But because the soil had no depth, when the sun came, it withered and died. Jesus explains that the hearer is the one that hears the word and responds with great joy. But because his faith is an inch deep and at first sight of trouble, he splits. This is a fair weather Christian. Everything is great on the mountaintop, the soaring vistas, the wind and the sun on your face. You can face anything except that next valley. For as soon as trials come, you immediately fall away. One day they they are saying, yeah, following Jesus, this is great. Not realizing that following Jesus means dying. It means every day dying and rising again. Dying to the old man and living to Christ. Dying to our fleshly impulses and desires and learning to love the things that God loves and hate the things that he hates. For the word of the gospel is a call to follow Christ in suffering before ever, before ever getting a share in his glory. For the Christian life is a life of suffering. It's a call to suffer as Christ suffered. We can embrace it and do it well, or we can run from it and pursue what Francis Schaefer called personal peace and affluence and put off suffering until later. Eventually, everyone suffers. It's just a matter of when and for what purpose. We suffer as members of the body of Christ in redemptive ways, mostly because the redemptive process of remaking the marred image of God in in Christ's image is painful. We are stripped away of our old sinful nature in Adam and we learn to live like Christ which means we are to deny our selfish impulses and take up our cross and follow him but the suffering that we avoid now by rejecting following Christ that suffering is not redemptive it's a a penal suffering for all of eternity in hell I was reminded in Sunday school as we thought of the parable of Lazarus and um, the rich man. Lazarus did not have honor in this life. He was poor and he was a beggar. And he just wanted crumbs from the rich man's table. And the rich man dined and, and was rich and he experienced all the blessings that this life had to offer. But when he died because he had rejected God, he was sent to hell where he suffered, and he longed just for a drop of water to be put on his tongue, whereas Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham, receiving all the wealth and honor of the nations that he had inherited. so it is for us. If we reject the suffering of following after Christ, then we will not share in his glory. Notice, Jesus says that when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. Much of the suffering you will encounter in this life is on account of you being a Christian. Either as I already explained in the process of sanctification or in the offense that comes with the gospel. Paul said that if he If he could remove the offense of the gospel, then he would not be persecuted. If he just accepted that it was just circumcision and just obey the law, the Mosaic law, nobody would have tried to kill him. Nobody would have persecuted him. He wouldn't have undergone any suffering. But because he chose the path of the gospel and preached the cross, which was a stumbling block to Jews and offense to Greeks, he was killed at the hands of the Romans. And trust me, it's always a temptation for us to neglect or to refuse to enter in to the suffering that God calls us to. Let's tame the lion. That is the word of God. We want to make it more palatable, easier for people to accept so that they won't reject us. So that we won't face persecution. And so we accept things that are clearly taught in Scripture. We call evil good and good evil. We go along with the culture because it's easy. And we don't want to suffer. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be alone. We want the friendship of the world. And so we tame the lion of the word of God, and we try to turn it into a kitty cat, something that we can use for our personal prosperity, for our best life now. I'm reminded of that discussion between Lucy and Mr. Beaver and the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Lucy asks the beaver about Aslan. He is describing him as this lion and and she asks, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver, he, he responds, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus is not safe. And the life that he calls us to is a life of following him by taking up our cross, dying to ourselves daily, and living to him. It's a it's a." It's a call that entails suffering. What kind of soil, what kind of heart do you have? Is it rocky? Did it spring up with joy at first, but then you realize the message is not as well received as you received it. And so you don't want to share it. You don't want to enter into it. What kind of hearer are you? Mark my words, over the next five to ten years, there is going to be a lot of Christians Christians falling away from the church suddenly because of the awful offense of the gospel. We are already beginning to see this in the evangelical world as they become woke. We are seeing it in our own denomination as sodomy is being touted as a possible identity for Christians to embrace. The measure of the soil of your heart is your ability to patiently endure trials, which, as James says, tests your faith and produces in you steadfastness. He who has ears, let him hear. But there are others; they hear, but the words are other words are stronger. Jesus said, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out, verse 7, which Jesus explains in verse 22, as the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The cares of the world. Jesus has already spoken at length in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, verse 25, about not being anxious, for the cares of the world. The Lord knows our needs. He knows that we need to eat and to be clothed. He knows all of our needs, even before we ask. And he calls us not to be anxious about those things, not to fearfully worry about them, because he is the one who provides for us. Jesus is not belittling our concern to feed and clothe our families. He cares for our families. He wants us to have the things that we need to survive, of course. What Jesus is talking about, what he's concerned with, is what preoccupies us. What we fuss over, what captures our attention. This has to do everything with our loyalties. Where we put our heart. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also problem is we are finite creatures and we do not we have very limited capacity to love two things at one time jesus said you cannot serve two masters you either love the one and hate the other or love the other and hate the one you cannot serve the lord and care for the things of this world jesus is concerned with what you are devoted to Besides those who do not want to suffer hardship on account of the word of God, those entangled by the cares of the world are the most common reasons why people walk away from the faith. John says in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Interestingly, these same three things were present in the garden when Eve saw the fruit. She saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, Genesis 3.6. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life all entangled Adam and Eve, leading to their downfall, the cares of the world. You simply do not have the capacity to serve two masters. The world is everything that is set in opposition to God. The world is not creation, but the idolatrous systems of the world that are set in opposition to him. The church today is under attack on two fronts. A hostile progressive culture and an equally hostile progressive Christianity within the church. And let me tell you, it's difficult to fight a war on two fronts. But it must be done. I watched this as many of my fellow seminary students were hoodwinked by progressivism. And I still have friends in its grip. Their desire for cultural transformation has entangled them in the cares of the world. But just because we at Hope might not be susceptible to a desire to change the sexual ethic, for instance... That doesn't mean that we don't feel the pressure of the world and calling us to conform every day. We pull out our phones and we are reminded of materialism that tells us if you want to have a good life, you need to shop. You need to buy things. You need to consume. And So we want more and more. Or it tells us that we look at our Instagram and we think, wow, I want to have that experience. I wish I was in Italy or I was on in Europe doing a tour. I wish my life resembled theirs. And so we lust after the things that we see. We don't have godly contentment. We are lured by just opening up our Facebook, our Instagram. The cares of the world are strong and they will constantly tug at the heartstrings, pulling your affections towards them and away from God. There are two diagnostic questions to determine where your heart lies. Where do you spend the most time and where does all your money go? I'm not talking about the time and money that it takes to subsist, just to care for yourself, to work, to clothe your family. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what gets you up in the morning. What do you live for? What are you passionate about? Where do you spend all of your time, your money, and your energy? Is it a hobby? Is it your career? What makes you work? Where do you spend your time and your money? Chances are the answers to those questions will determine whether the cares of the world entangle you. Whether or not our loyalties are divided. Whether or not thorns have crept up in the soil of our heart. And they're choking out the word. Because we're sitting here now and we're thinking about lunch. We're thinking about the game or I don't even know if there are games on anymore. The viewership seems to be dropping rapidly. But we're thinking about something other than the word of God. Let the hearer beware. There's only one out of the four types of hearers that is fruitful the good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. Now, we looked last week at the purpose of Jesus and using parables to teach. And what Jesus showed us was that what was given to the disciples to understand for others was a source of mystery. It was actually concealed from them so that they did not understand. And who is given that understanding is in the hands of God. It doesn't rest in our hands. It's not based on our ingenuity, our own wisdom, or our persuasiveness. It's God who does the work. And try as you may, you will deliver the message, the gospel to someone until you're blue in the face. But if the Lord does not do the prior work of preparing the soil of their heart to receive that word, it will be fruitless. We've all had this experience. We all have loved ones that over and over again, we have shared the gospel with them to no avail. and We think, why? Why is this good message A message of freedom from the bondage of slavery. Freedom in Christ. Why is it not received? But We continue to scatter the seed of the word. And we pray that God would do the preparatory work of preparing the soil of their hearts. Ultimately, Jesus is the sower. And Jesus is the good soil that receives the word. Because he took on himself the hardness of sin. And endured the persecution and tribulation of suffering that led to death. He learned obedience through his suffering. And because when tempted by Satan in the wilderness with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, he was stood faithful until the end. Because Jesus is the good soil, all those who trust in him have this guarantee. They are those who hear his word and understand. Those who have been united to Christ by faith have his righteousness given to them. Our our hearts have been prepared by the gospel. As Ezekiel said, the stony heart has been taken away and a heart of flesh has been given. So that we can respond. So that the seed falls on the good soil. But we have also seen that the enemy is subtle. And whether through birds or rocks or thorns, he will try everything to keep the seed from bearing fruit. But God, being the good farmer that he is, will have the soil of our hearts prepared and ready to receive the seed of his word. And so in many ways... This parable is showing the four different responses to the gospel. But as I've tried to show, these are not static responses. For the good soil can one day be overrun by thorns and weeds or hardened by sin for a time. Such that a period of backsliding occurs and the good soil can become fruitless and barren and dry. Hosea calls Israel to repentance, saying, Sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Break up the fallow ground of your heart, so that you may receive the word of God. The parable Jesus tells invites us to examine our hearts, to see how is it that you are receiving the word? What is the soil of your heart? The one thing that makes it evident just which hearer you are is whether or not you are bearing fruit. The seed on the path had no growth. The birds stole it away. But the other two, the rocky soil and the soil with the thorns, it had growth. It seemed to be growing for a time, but it had no fruit. But the good soil produces a crop. We ask the question, what is this fruit that the good soil produces some 160 and 30 fold? Well, we're not wrong to look for answers in Paul's examination of the fruit of the spirit. In Galatians 5, 22, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is your life marked by the fruit of the Spirit? Are you daily producing a crop of love? Love for God and love for neighbor. The two things that the law and the prophets hang on. Paul continues in Galatians 6-7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever the one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The fruit that the good soil produces is measured not by worldly standards of success, but by the word of God. To have a successful life it may not be successful to the world. They might hate you for it. It's seen in hearts that devoted to God overflow with love for one another. What kind of hearer are you? What kind of fruit are you producing? If you don't know, ask your wife. Ask your husband. Ask a close friend. What fruit am I producing? How is my life today different than it was yesterday? How am I progressing towards that goal of looking more and more like Christ? Is the word... Bearing fruit in my life? These are sobering questions to ask. Ask it of the Lord. Lord, reveal to me the areas that I have stoned off from you. That I have cut off from your penetrating gaze. Or at least I think I have. This is my corner of my heart. And I'm not giving it to you. These are the idols that have gripped me. And I refuse to surrender them. These are soul-searching questions that the Lord commands us to ask. What soil is your heart made of? What kind of fruit are you producing? And then, repent. Sow righteousness and reap steadfast love. Break up the fallow ground of your heart and turn to the Lord and be healed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that first you have prepared our hearts to receive your word. And if there are those who are seated here today whose hearts have not received that word before, we pray that you would prepare them to receive it. Break up our stony and thorny hearts to receive the gospel. Help us to suffer by following Christ in his life and death. Help us not to be enticed by the cares of this world and to repent daily, breaking up the soil of our own hearts so that it may be fruitful, producing in us love and joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. All these things are pleasing to you. We pray these things in Jesus' strong name. And amen.